You're listening to a podcast from the 5th Annual Tudor and Stuart Ireland Interdisciplinary Conference. The conference took place at Maynooth University on the 28th and 29th of August, 2015. The conference was generously supported by Marsh's Library, the Department of History at Maynooth University, Graduate Studies Office at Maynooth University, UCD Research, UCD School of History and the Irish Research Council through a new Foundations Award. Podcasting was by Real Smart Media. In this episode, a recording of a paper by Ailish Noonan from the University of St Andrews. Her paper was entitled Women and Violence in the 1641 Rising. Good afternoon. Thanks very much um, for having me here. And we were actually just discussing um, between my other panellists um, that we find ourselves very lucky that there's a whole panel um, as regards gender in the 1640s. So what I hope to do is to give sort of a broad thematic outlook on things and also discuss um, some of the broader kind of European context of what's going on here. This is a declaration made by the Lord Justices of Ireland in 1642 and it kind of sets up the tone of what we're talking about quite well um, because you can see in the piece I've underlined here that they're They accuse the women of being very manifestly deep in the guilt of this rebellion. So they're really kind of putting a lot of the violence onto women, um, which could be quite surprising in this time. Um, So it points to the central place that women held in the 1641 rising in the realms of both reality and imagination. And from what can be gleaned from the surviving records, women were subject to and perpetrators of extraordinary violence and cruelty on both Catholic and Protestant sides of the conflict. And the actions of these women and accounts of violence against the female body were used to great effect in polemic writings produced after the events themselves. These writings, which include John Temple's The Irish Rebellion, can be seen to set the 1641 rising in the same polemic context as other contemporary religious conflicts on the continent, particularly the St. Bartholomew's Day Massacre in 1572 in France. And these issues all need to be taken into account when examining the role played by women in the 1641 Rising. What cannot be denied is that women played a central role in the conflict from the level of elites, as seen in the figures of Lady Offaly and Lady Elizabeth Dowdle, to the memorable deposition of Elizabeth Price of County Armagh and other female deponents. And that these women reacted to the violence in Ireland in similar ways to many other women entangled in religious conflict in Europe at the same time. And unfortunately, due to time, I can't go in to the elite women that I've just mentioned, um, so mostly focus on women in the depositions itself. Um, so for a bit of background, the 1641 Rising began in October of that year as two coordinated Catholic plots against the ruling Protestant elites, one for a rising in Ulster, led by Sir Phelan O'Neill, and another to seize Dublin Castle, led by Lord Conor Maguire. In Maguire's case, his plans were ruined when the conspiracy was revealed to the Lord Justices at the last minute. However, the Ulster Rising proceeded as planned and quickly engulfed the entire country in the chaos of attacks and reprisals. The 1641 depositions are the best record we now possess for studying the events of 1641 in Ireland. They were collected by the Commission for the Despoiled Subject beginning in December 1641. And this commission was charged with collecting statements from victims for the purposes of restitution of those whose lands and goods were destroyed in the uprising. And they were collected primarily in Dublin, where most of the refugees passed through, or Munster. And the depositions are now stored in Trinity College, Dublin, and were arranged in 31 manuscript volumes, grouped according to county. 
And there are two types of depositions. Some are either statements of Protestant refugees taken down soon after the events were alleged to have occurred, but others were not collected until the Catholic Irish were being tried for their crimes in the 1650s. And they include reports from people of all strata of society, and significantly for our subject, up to a third of all depositions were given by women. And obviously one major issue when dealing with the depositions and other evidence for the rising is a complete lack of contemporary sources from the Catholic population. And although some accounts from Irish Catholics can be found, they are all very much of a later date, they're anecdotal and informal, and they're often exaggerated and difficult to corroborate. So historians do need to pay attention to this marginalisation of the voices of victimised Catholics, as put by Naomi McRavey, as the depositions have long been used to give a thoroughly one-sided polemic view of the rebellion, which I'll now go into. And this began in 1646, uh, which when Sir John Temple's magnus opus, The Irish Rebellion, was published. And in it, he estimated that 300,000 Protestants had either died or been displaced as a result of the rebellion, which is a vastly overestimated figure. We can all agree. And this text was incredibly influential and popular, going through more than 10 editions between 1646 and 1813. The depositions in Temple's subsequent work reveal much about the role of women in the Rising itself and about how ideas about women were used to polemic effect when discussing the atrocities. Women are primarily portrayed in two ways, in both the depositions themselves and in the contemporary sources which make use of them, either as victims or perpetrators of the savage violence suffered by the Protestants. And in both cases, their gender brings the terror of the situation into greater relief. As innocent victims, often pregnant or nursing small children, the violence against them is presented as the ultimate savagery. As perpetrators of the violence, they are an example of the fundamental disorder of Irish society. And both of these tropes will be now examined as they play a key role in exploring the impact women had on the rebellion. So the murder of women, particularly pregnant women, was represented, um, pregnant women represented the pinnacle of realised femininity. And so these assume pride of place in the polemic arsenal of the Protestant recorders of the Irish atrocities. And the same accounts appear again and again of the especial cruelty of the Catholics who targeted the most vulnerable of all people and destroyed the female body and the next generation of Protestants in Ireland. In this way, women's trauma was exploited for political ends by the producers of these records. Temple relates a horrific account of a group of Catholic soldiers breaking into the home of a Protestant, beating out the brains of the man and raping and murdering his pregnant wife. He describes them as bloodthirsty savages and not deserving the full title of humanity. Uh, and I'll go on here. Similarly, the testimony of Elizabeth Price recounts the harrowing tale of when the Irish attacked a pregnant, woman, pregnant English woman thus. They ripped up her belly so that the child fell out of her womb and then they threw both the mother and the child into the water. Likewise, the deposition of Joan Constable recounts the drowning of a labouring mother and her unborn child, after which she claims. The very child that once appeared and moved in the water, the child being half-born when the poor mother was so drowned, without doubt that child cried out for vengeance. And it is important to note that Joan explicitly links the idea of vengeance to the image of destroyed innocence. And this is echoed in another part of Price's testimony where she paints the extraordinary image of a woman she saw when she returned to the Portadown Bridge after most of her children had been murdered there by Catholics. And this is my favourite of these depositions. So she said, a woman, <laughs> waist high, upright in the water, naked with elevated and closed hands, divulged and often repeated the word revenge, revenge, revenge. Catholics were often accused of the murders of children in particularly cruel ways and even to teach their own children to murder Protestant children. This was presented as incontestable evidence of the barbarism of Irish Catholics. 
The horrific murders of pregnant women were not the sole domain of the Irish Catholics, however. One of the most controversial figures in the entire conflict, Sir Charles Coote, first Earl of Mon Montrath, was noted for his cruelty and violence, even by his own Protestant allies. He was accused of John Lynch in his book, Cambrice's Eversus, of being a most bloodthirsty monster who hung a pregnant woman from her own front door and cut her unborn child from her womb and hung it with her own hair. It is clear that this harrowing event, the murder of a pregnant woman and her unborn child, represented most clearly the horror of war in the most shocking terms for those involved in the conflict in Ireland in the 1640s. It is also evident that there is a huge degree of reciprocity involved in these attacks. Some historians have questioned the extent to whether these attacks were exaggerated and conflated, obviously, or even simply imagined for polemic purposes on either side. It is undeniable that these events were ingrained in both Catholics and Protestants' collective memory as the ultimate trauma of war. So John Temple's express intent to show how the English suffered more unparalleled cruelties in Ireland than any Christians of one country since the first Christians were persecuted in the Roman Empire. And so in order to portray the Irish Catholics as particularly barbaric, savage and uncivilised, Temple focuses on the ferocity and violent nature of Irish women. In doing this, he builds on a tradition also contributed to by Edmund Spencer, who singled out the unsubmissiveness of Irish women as proof of the baseness of Irish culture, despite having a much more ameliorative view of Ireland than Temple on the whole. These women were frequently described in polemic terms, such as Amazons or devilish viragos. His descriptions also echo Hippocrates' description of Scythian women, who were seen as warlike and savage. One of the most notorious women involved in the Rising was Jane Hamskin of County Armagh, who was alleged to have led to a mob which set fire to a cottage in which a group of settlers had taken refuge. She was called the most forward and cruel rebel among them by recorders of this atrocity. Joan Constable added in her deposition that Jane had been a Protestant herself at one point, but the bloody Virago, being a mere Irish woman and lately turned to mass, had betrayed her former Protestant brethren and turned on them, confirming her inherent savage evil nature. Women was, were attributed a surprising amount of agency for acts of violence during the Rising, with a deponent named Beatrice Hobdith from County Clare claiming the women rebels were more cruel and fierce than the men. Because these women were acting contrary to established gender roles, they were guilty of more disorder. And it cannot be denied that women played a myriad of complex roles in the tumultuous period of the Rising in Ireland. What remains to be examined is how unique these roles were to the Irish situation, or if parallels can be seen in the roles played by women in other early modern conflicts occurring in Europe at the same time. Certainly remarkable similarities can be found between women during the Irish conflict and the outbreak of the French wars of religion in the latter half of the 16th century, particularly the St. Bartholomew's Day Massacre of 1572. In Natalie Zeman Davis's remarkable study of the massacre, she points out that the ideas of pollution and dehumanisation are central to early modern religious conflict. She traces the distinct ways in which Catholics and Huguenots in France attacked and killed their religious opponents, which was often according to rites of violence. A text very similar to Temple's Irish Rebellion, called Histoire Ecclesiastique des Églises Réformées au Royaume de France, was produced soon after the massacre, which recounts the horror felt by French Protestants as Catholics amassed to murder them. A very similar account of violence can be seen in the Irish context found in the text, including accusations of cannibalism and mutilation of bodies, as well as the disembowelment of pregnant women. Another text about St. Bartholomew's Day includes accusations very reminiscent of those levels against Irish Catholics, perpetrators that tear from the bellies of their mothers or kill them in their cradles, persecuting each other inhumanely with all kinds of cruelty, like wild beasts. 
It is clear that the patterns of gendered polemic writing were correlative in early modern Ireland and in the wider European sphere. And so reflecting on the memory of the 1641 Rising, William Leckie remarked that hardly any page of history has been more misrepresented. This misrepresentation has particularly affected how women were portrayed in relation to the Rising. Either they were helpless, innocent victims of Catholic violence, their pregnant, mutilated bodies symbolising the destruction of the Protestant Irish world, or they were savage viragos exhibiting the violent, barbaric extremes of Catholic Ireland. Both tropes conceal the real, more complex roles women could play in the Rising, which has been explored throughout this study. It is clear that the roles of women in early modern wars need to be fundamentally re-examined, not just in the Irish case, but also in the wider European context, in order to interrogate the gap between the real and the imagined place of women during violent religious conflicts.